0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. In the first 13 chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we've learned some things. And Matthew sort of introduces Jesus as the Messiah coming from the line of David. We also see that he says that he's new, authoritative teacher like Moses. And so Matthew is just, is just kind of going through, and he says, oh, 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 by the way, we also learned that he taught Jesus was Emmanuel, which in the Hebrew means God with us. So the overall theme of Matthew, you can see that he comes from the line of David, that he is the new Moses in authority and teaching, but he's also God with us. And then we, as we walked with Jesus, we see that he's, he's teaching us about God's kingdom, and he taught us basically day-to-day life among the people of Israel. And here's what we noticed. Many people accepted him. Many people accepted him. Unfortunately, he was rejected by others. You know who he was rejected by? The religious leaders of the day. And I think it's the same today, wouldn't you agree? In our day and age, there are a lot of people who hear Bible studies, and we go to church, and we're listening to folks, and a lot of people, when they hear the Lord for the first time, yeah, I did... And then... Yet there are times when there's a lot of people who
1: go, eh, uh.
0: and then specifically religious leaders will go, no thanks, no thanks. I'm gonna, I'm going to put my faith and trust in my religion, and that's what was going on in here in, in the day of Jesus. Well. As we come to chapter 14, we're going to discover some things. You go, well, like what, Ben? Well, we're going to discover a conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus, and you and I get to, to watch things play out. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you're taking note, let me just kind of give you a brief outline from chapter 14 through 20. Why? Because it changes just a little bit. You go, what happens? What happens? Well, if you're taking note, we're going to explore in these next few chapters many different expectations that people had about the Messiah. Okay, your attention please. Here's what happens. We either accept the Lord, we are neutral, or we reject the Lord. But what happens is that as you begin to see the Lord in the lives of other people, you get to see the Lord in the lives of of church and where you live, then you, you, you have some expectations. And this is what they're going to come back and go, well, I expected... The Messiah. Well, I expected and we're going to see that. Well, what does Jesus do? Well, He's not intimidated by this. You know what He does? He keeps healing the sick. Okay? He keeps healing the sick. And today we actually learn of a huge miracle. A miracle where He feeds 5,000 men. And that does not include women and children. But that's the miracle. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about two feasts, two feasts, okay? And you go, well, well, we're going to see that there's going to be a feast of death and a feast of life. As a matter of fact, I've entitled this message, A Tale of Two Feasts. You go, well, like what? Well, the next 21 verses, we discover we're going to see a feast of death. And this is a feast of the flesh that leads to death. There's a feast like that. But we're also going to see a feast of life. One where Jesus brings life as well as spiritual life. So it is a tale of two feasts. Now, what you need to know is how Webster Dictionary defines feasts. Okay? And I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. Webster defines feast as this a sumptuous entertainment. Sumptuous entertainment or meal for many guests. That sounds like a feast. A sumptuous um, entertainment. But if you look at the verb text of this, it says to dwell with gratification or delight. I thought, wow, that's a very interesting description, if you will, of the word feasts. Well, today, buckle your seatbelts, church, because we're going to look at a tale of two feasts, a feast of life and a feast of death. Now, as we come to chapter 14 in our Bibles, guys, remember, we're about to look at these. Verses 1 to 12, if you will, is the first feast. It is a feast, well, let's be honest. It's a feast of the flesh which starts with death and ends with death. That's the verse. Verse 12 verses. The second feast is different. It's actually found in verses 13 through 21, and it actually starts in Matthew 14. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion For them, and he healed their sick. This is the beginning of the second feast. But before we jump into, because we we understand that the second feast is a feast of compassion, a feast of healing, and a feast of miracles, we've got to go back because we've got to talk about the first feast first. Say that ten times fast. First feast first. That's when we pick up our story in verse 1. But before we do... Think about these two stories as something beautiful. Well, like what? Well, if you were going to go buy a diamond ring, okay, you were going to buy a diamond, the jeweler would not just take a diamond and put it and show you um, with all the bright lights and everything. It, it doesn't bring the clarity of the diamond. What is he going to do, church? You know this. He's going to take out a very black velvet pad, and he'll put the diamond ring there, and it just shows... Even more spectacular. You understand that, right? So in order to appreciate the diamond, there's got to be some darkness. Well, that's, that's the way Matthew's writing. He says, let me, let me tell you something that's really, really sad, and then I'm going to contrast it with the good news, the gospel message. And you go, oh, okay. So let's go, guys. Verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. Therefore the powers are at work in him. Verse 3, For Herod had laid hold of John, bound him, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Your attention, please. We've got to do some work here we got to do some work here. This is so cool. At Calvary Chapel Church, you'll know that we will break down the text. You need to know. We're going to teach you. Okay? So the first thing we see is a fellow by the name of Herod. They call him Herod the Tetrarch. Okay? Now, I want you to circle that name because he really is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. He is the son of what we would call Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Now, what you need to know is Herod the Great, okay, nobody called him that, he called himself that. Okay, so nobody was like, hey, it's Herod the Great. He's like, I'm Herod the Great. I'm Herod the Great, right? So he called himself that, and this was his dad. Now, when Jesus was born and Herod the Great heard about it, guess what he did? He went and had all the, all the, all the kids kill, all the male kids kill, because thinking he's like, hey, not in my time, not in my life, and all this good stuff. Well, now he has a son. Now, he's a tetrarch because he's only going to give him one-fourth of the kingdom. So he doesn't have a big kingdom, he only has one-fourth. Okay? But some interesting things that I want to point out about dad. About dad. Okay? You realize that, and we'll call him Herod the Great because that's what he called himself, but do you realize that Herod the Great was, was really so despised... And so just, ugh, that he knew that when he died, nobody would cry for him. So he commanded his offer, he commanded some, he said, listen, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. I want you, when I die, I want you to put to death 100 dignitaries so that the whole uh, Israel will mourn for me. I know nobody's going to die. I'm nobody's going to cry for me. So I want you to go kill these guys. Well, what happened was, and when Herod died, they kind of went, "Well, he's dead, so let's not do it." So they didn't they didn't take it out because they're like, "Well, he's dead. What's he going to do?" But can you imagine? Can you imagine? And I was thinking about that. I mean, it's like, can you imagine living a life so selfish, so self centered, so egotistical that you go, "Hey, when I die, make sure that somebody else dies so that people could cry." And then other people will think they're crying for me. This was Herod the Great. Herod the Great, guys, walked in the flesh all of his life. He was a self-centered, selfish, I mean, this is what he's like. Well, guess what? When you walk in the flesh and your children see that, guess what they see? they see and these children were exactly like his, their dad. Dad. And I think, guys, one of the things we need to stop right now and take a moment and go, Lord, help me. Because as we raise our children, sometimes they follow after us. And for us, that's really, really, oh, good, 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 that's good news, or it could be
1: some bad news.
0: But I know that Herod Antipas was like his dad. History tells us that Herod Antipas was remembered as a weak ruler who was only concerned with his own pleasure and his own position. He did not serve the people, he served himself he has the dubious honor of being the man who killed the greatest prophet ever sent to proclaim God's word. This was Herod Antipas. Now, what you need to know, too, is something very interesting. I think there's a great point we can learn from this. You go, what's that? If you're taking note, jot down this, but Herod Antipas was a Sadducee. He was a Sadducee. He part of the Sadducees. You go, okay. Now, we're going to see some conflict with the Pharisees, But Herod was part of the Sadducees. You go, okay, so what does that mean to me? Well, well, hold on, hold on. Here's what he says. The Sadducees guys only believed in the first five books of the Bible. And they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. So they said, if you die, you die, that's it. We don't believe that you're going to ever be resurrected and or anything else. So when Jesus dies and is resurrected, they're going, no, 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 no. They're Sadducees, right? And they were always sad You see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. You go, Pastor, that was sad. I know, I'm just trying to... But notice what he says. If he doesn't believe in the resurrection, come on somebody, say amen. He says to his servants, this must be John the Baptist. What does he say? Raised from the dead. Wait, 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 time out. Time time out, Herod. You didn't believe. What do you mean? Uh, Yeah, I just know this is, uh, this is
1: why he can do so much, so many miracles. Do you guys see it? Do you guys see it?
0: He pulls it out, and I thought, here it is. Funny how our beliefs can change when we're stressed out. Funny how our beliefs can change. Now, here's what I want you to think about, okay? Whenever I say think about, it's put on the thinking cap, okay? Whenever we're stressed, whenever there's tribulations, whenever there's uncertainties, you guys know what I'm talking about, uncertainties in life, okay? Whenever those happen in our lives, here's what I want you to write down. They can either be an asset or a liability. They can be an asset or a liability. You go, Ben, I'm not sure what you mean. Assets, guys, they give to you, liabilities they take from you. You're like, oh, okay. So when stress and tribulation, uncertainties, all the things that we face in life, they're either going to be an asset or a liability. The things we go through in life can be assets. Why? Because in times of stress, in times of sickness, it should help us to run to God. We go to God, Lord, help, and 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 be poured into by His precious Holy Spirit. That's 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 an asset. Okay, I gotta run to God. I gotta I gotta do these um things that that others deem hard, sad. In the long run, can be good as we draw closer to God. Listen, I hate cancer. But you realize that when my wife got cancer, it drove her to the throne room of God. I mean, this is... I I hate COVID. I hate that people I love are getting sick and dying. But I also know I've had people say, it brought me closer
1: to God. Guys, when we're faced with our own mortality...
0: It should bring us closer to God. But that shouldn't always be the case.
1: It shouldn't always be the case.
0: I was driving home from New Mexico yesterday, and I was listening to a teaching uh, right about 4.30, 30. he was talking about Cory Ten Boom, Cory and Betsy. And Corey Ten Boom, um, based in, in, in Ravensbrook, was talking about the fleas. Everybody Anybody hear that story? The fleas. Basically what happened, the fleas um, Sister Betsy says, "Hey, you need to be grateful and thankful in all things." And Corey's like, I can't be thankful. I can't be thankful that I'm, I'm in this, in this concentration camp that's supposed to hold 400 that has 1,400 women. I can't be thankful in that. But she goes, no, no, be thankful that we have all these women and we can share the word of God. Okay, I can be thankful in that. She says, be thankful for the fleas. And Corey says, that's it. I'm not thankful to be for the fleas. Until she realized that the guards wouldn't come in the barracks because of the fleas and that she was able to lead many to Christ. And again, I'm not thankful for fleas. But see, God's using all of the things that you're going through today for his it's arm. An, it's an asset. It's an asset. But it also could be a liability. You go, Ben, I'm not sure what you mean. I heard this, check it out, that we don't lose faith, it just deteriorates over time. Wait, what? Grasp the principle. If you have stresses, trials, uncertainties, over time can deteriorate your faith. It actually takes from you. Come on, this is good, somebody. Why? Because think about it. We don't wake up when I'm going, I don't have any faith anymore. I don't believe in God. That's it. It happens slowly. The stress is, oh, I thought God was love. I thought He was going to help me. Why am I sick? I can't, oh, am i And 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 through over time, it starts to deteriorate. And somebody goes, hey man, how's your walk? <sighs> I wish it was better. I wish it was better. I mean, I wish... Well, what happened man? Well, look what's going on in the world. Look what's going on in the world, and then you can start naming off listen, this is for somebody. I'll tell you why because if you don't guard your faith, it will deteriorate over time
1: and then when and then, when life happens
0: and and and, and I'm preaching to myself I'm preaching to myself because. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the word of God. Guys, I have to be in the word more, 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 more. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I need my faith. I need my foundation. Because I don't know what the world's going to do. I don't know what the world's going to do. we got some, We got some teenagers in the service, and I'm telling you, it, you live in a different world than we do. I'm telling you, your faith needs to be solid. Our mom's faith needs to be solid. Dad's faith needs to be solid.
1: They come home and they tell you things that you've never faced
0: before. It's not like like when I went home and I would tell my dad, hey, Dad, could you help me with algebra? And he goes, oh, I've never done that. Sorry, I can't help you, son. They're coming home with real-life problems. We've got to have a solid
1: foundation. Don't let your beliefs
0: change because of the stresses. Stay on it. Stay on it. Herod, right away, as soon as he was stressful, oh, it's, it's, I believe in the resurrection. It has to be, it has to be John. It has to be John. And so I had to stop and ask the question, Herod, why are you so stressed out, dude? Well, because it says Herod laid hold of John and bound him and put him into prison. Guys, for the sake of Herodias, you guys know, you guys know the story. You know the story. Okay? John the Baptist comes out and he calls out, He calls out Herodias, hey, you were married to Philip. You can't just divorce Philip and go with Herod. And she's like,
1: well, you stop talking to me.
0: She gets so convicted. But it says in verse 5, check it out, guys. It says in verse 5, and although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Now, Herod didn't like being called out. He didn't like being called out, okay? no, None of us do. When we're enjoying our little secret sin and everything, we don't like to be called out. Neither did Herod. And Herod goes, okay, okay, that's it. Um, that's it. John needs to die. John needs to die.
1: John needs to die. He, ugh. But why? Why? Why?
0: Because Herod, instead of dealing with conviction in a biblical manner, he wanted to quench the source of that conviction.
1: Boy, I got quiet in here.
0: Think about it. Instead of dealing with conviction in a biblical manner, he wanted to quench the source of that conviction. Isn't that a great principle for us today? You go, what do you mean? Guys, instead of dealing with a conviction in our lives, we tend to shut down the source of that conviction. How do we do it? There's a lot of ways we do it, right? I'll give you one. Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. Okay? Don't judge me. You worry about you. And and we try to shut... Listen, conviction is a beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit brings. Conviction is like, hey man, hey listen, I don't, you're not having all that, that I have for you. And, and you go, well, I'm just
1: going to, I'm going to just, uh,
0: we stop being friends. Ooh, come on. We stop being friends with godly people because we want to shut down the source
1: of conviction. See, listen, if I don't hang out with them, then they can't, they won't tell me. I think we need to have true
0: friends that, that, that help us in our blind spots. True friends that would love us enough to tell us. I think I, I, I do. You see, cause Christians should feel conviction when we sin. We should feel that. It's the one way the Holy Spirit guides us. Hey, 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 come back, come back. Hey. But when we ignore that conviction and continue in the same sin, we find it harder and harder to hear the Holy Spirit because we've spent so long ignoring Him. So two things happen. Okay. You find friends, come on somebody, you find friends that are not gonna, that are not godly. You find friends that are gonna be like, hey, let's go. So yeah, all right, let's go. And then the Holy Spirit starts to convict because He loves you, and you start to ignore. and And the Bible says that you get what you get—a calloused heart. And stare the yard. You know, I don't live in the vida. Look, uh, you know, having and the Holy Spirit's like, "Hey, hey, hey! You're going to go down the wrong path. I love you, please. You're going to go down the wrong path, and you—you
1: you cannot hear. You cannot
0: hear. Biblical
1: conviction is that place where you go. Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry."
0: Back to our story. Remember John? John was about 10 months in prison. Do You remember? And on Herod's birthday, they have a a feast, a party. It was a sumptuous entertainment with many guests. Right? And the party started out in the flesh. The party started out in the flesh. You go, well, how so? How so? Well, notice verses 6 through 8. It says, but when Herod's birthday was celebrated... The daughter of Herodias danced before them and it, what's that word got, church? It pleased. If you're taking note and you're a Bible scholar, she's identified as Salome. Salome was, was basically, this is from um, Josephus. He was a Jewish historian and that was her name. Okay? But when I read this, the word "pleased" there means it, it pleased them sexually.
1: If if I could, it was probably it was probably their equivalent to porn
0: stripper. All I mean, this was this was bad. Now, and, and I tell you this um, because it makes me sad. Most commentaries suggest that she was a young girl, but I think of her life, and I think her life was so messed up that. Chances of marrying anyone was Neil. Because the text and the
1: commentaries
0: also suggest that she was very promiscuous. It wasn't just a dance, you understand that. She seductively came out in front of all of these men. And Herod said, Yeah. Wow. And all the guys were like, Woohoo! And I
1: was thinking, Wow. I'll tell you why this
0: makes me sad. I have to ask myself one question. How did this happen? How did Salome get this way? How did this happen? How does a young teenager go from being a cute little girl to dancing seductively before a regional ruler in a drunkenness rave? How
1: does it happen? I wonder, I wonder. Herod's birthday starts off in the flesh. Starts off in the flesh. And here she comes. Here she comes. And his buddies
0: are patting him on the back. Hey, good job.
1: Yeah, look at that. Wow, way to go.
0: Not once did Herod go, No, 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 stop, 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 stop. That's that's you know, well, okay, so so I had, a, I had her divorce Philip, but she's my wife now, so that's your daughter. That should not be right.
1: How does a young teenager go from from a cute little girl playing Barbies? to a girl of the world. And I think as parents, I think as parents, we need to take heed. We need to see, and we need to let the Lord speak to us concerning this.
0: Nah, bro, I want to be, be my little girl's best friend, and we're going to go out, and I've seen that plastered all over. No, 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 no,
1: Listen. Look at verse 7.
0: Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted, who? By her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. Other accounts tell us that this pleased Herod so much that he was so enraged that he goes, Up to half my kingdom! Now it wasn't much because it was only a quarter of the kingdom. So don't think it was all of Israel. I mean, he's just like up to, you know. But he was so. And so she goes to her mom, she goes, What should I ask for? A new iPod? Maybe, maybe, maybe an iPhone 12? What, what should I ask for? What do you think? A flat screen TV in my room? And she's like, Oh, no. I want John's head on a platter.
1: Little girl goes, All right, I don't know what that's going to do to me, but okay, Mom, whatever you think. Whatever you think. Think about it.
0: Herodias didn't go, hey, I just, I want, uh, I want John dead. She goes, I want, uh, this is gruesome. It wasn't enough to just have John killed, but to bring his lifeless, bloodied head on a platter. And so I thought, I want to do some research. And I looked it up, and you know what? Putting somebody's head on a platter, guys, was like like that ultimate revenge of your enemy. In other words, it was like telling everybody, don't mess with me. Herodias was like, don't mess with me. Watch what will happen. It reminded me, and I've never seen the movie, but some of you have seen the movie The Godfather, and they did the kind of the horse's head in the bed, kind of going, hey, don't mess. Now that... I looked that up, too, and I was like, wow. That's what he was saying. He was saying, I'm the godfather. Don't, don't mess with me. I don't know how the godfather does that, but you know what I'm saying? But how gruesome. How gruesome. Look at verse 9. He says, And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him. He commanded it be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took the body and buried it and went and told Jesus, "How does this feast start?" It started in the flesh, didn't it? It started with drunkenness. It started with everything contrary to God's word. This is the feast of the flesh, and it ended up in death. and that's usually what will happen. It's a fleet. It started out that way. Now, here's what you need to see. John ended up going to heaven. Ended up going to heaven. You go. But before we jump into the other feast, let me make some critical points, and then we'll jump into it, okay? One of the things we need to see is this was a a feast of the flesh, so what was tragic for us was a win for John. And he was ushered into a very, to glory in a very swift moment. Now, let me say that again. Okay, Because in light of COVID, in light of the flu, in light of cancer, in light of all of these things, what's very tragic for us was a win for John. You go, Ben, okay, I got that. Why are you yelling? Well, here's why. Remember, this is not our home. This is not our home. We were created to live with God in heaven. That's how we were created. And we're just passing through. Every one of us in this room is given a certain amount of time. What I'm asking you to do is make the best of it and if you have somebody who passes it's tragic we understand that but if they know the lord it's a win it's a win keep that in perspective why cuz i've been to both funerals that have not known jesus and there's weeping and there's and there's and there's wailing and and i've seen people throw themselves on the coffin and just i mean it's And then I've seen Christian funerals where it's sad, but it's it's a celebration of life, and it's like, oh, wow, wow. Listen, my friend in New Mexico had already performed eighteen funerals last year. He's already done four this year,
1: and it's only what the third week in January. He said the gospel, he said more people are getting saved at the funerals because
0: this is a real thing. More people are getting saved. Wow. Great principle. Great principle. Okay, number two. Here's the second critical point. You ready? Trust the sovereignty of God. Trust the sovereignty of God. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet who ever lived. That's what Jesus said. But what we need to remember is Jesus could have come to John and opened the prison doors. He didn't. He didn't. John, Jesus, let's okay, this is a little gruesome, but Jesus could have attached his head back on. He did the ear.
1: He didn't. He didn't. Yet He's still God.
0: Loving, compassionate, merciful Jesus. And here's the key, guys. We must learn to trust Him through life and death.
1: i got to be honest for me. It's hard.
0: It's hard. Trusting Him in life and death. So I'm going to need to do some work drawing closer to the God who created me. I have to do it. But you know what that means? It means putting away the things that are keeping me away
1: from God. It really does.
0: So here you have a feast that started in the flesh and ended in death. But now we have a second feast. Let's take a look at the Feast of Life. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. You guys see that? So he hears about, he hears about his friend John, and he's like, he's, he's, just, he's just shook up by this. He's, he's mourning. He's, wow. So he goes by a deserted place. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus came, went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, again, your attention please. Jesus hears the news about John, wants to get alone with God. That is a very good thing to do. I think it's a very good habit to get alone with God in these last days. But many people... Okay, so the Sea of Galilee is seven miles wide and 13 miles across, but you can see all over. So they see Jesus get on the boat, and they're like, hey, Paul, there's Jesus, let's go. So so multitudes are watching him cross, and they're following him. You guys understand that, right? They're, they see that. And many, many people, again, they come and they see that, that Jesus, and, and, and some of your translations will say a remote place, a deserted place. Like like he's not traveling to the most populated where there's a McDonald's and there's all this stuff that they could eat. He's going to where there's nothing. There's nothing. And there's people. And there's mommies and daddies. And and uh so they see Jesus. Now here's what the Bible says. It says he's he, he's going to a deserted place and they follow him. So they're outskirting. Um, they're outskirting the Sea of Galilee. They're watching him as they go. So you have multitude, multitude of people following Jesus. And then something jumped out at me. You go, what was that? It's a bit out of context. It's a bit out of context. But I wonder, would you follow Jesus even if you didn't
1: know where he was going?
0: Let's spiritualize it. If we saw Jesus going to a deserted place, would we still follow him? Think about your love for him. If you knew, I mean, you, you're looking and you're going, where's he going? Where's he going? Now, if you're single, you're single in here, you go, yeah, I'd follow him. i got nothing to lose. I mean, I could, I could survive. But now you start looking at your wife. And you start looking at your little ones and you start going, oh, where's he going? Where's he? Where's he?
1: Where's he going? Here's what I thought.
0: You ready? There are times in our lives when we wonder what the Lord has for us. Or we feel like we're in a deserted or dry place. There are times. It's in those times you need to go. This is where Jesus shows Himself real. Why? Well, I mean, think about this, right? You got to love the disciples. I go. So, so they're with Jesus. There's a multitude, and it says, and when it was evening, the disciples came to Him saying, oh, "Lord, Lord, Lord, come here, come here, Lord, come here. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people. Um, it's late. Uh, send the multitudes away." so they could go into the villages and buy them food, right? Can you imagine if Jesus did that? Can you imagine if he goes, hey, your attention, please. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. Go home. Go on. Uh, it's late. It's late, right? Um, I think about when people come over to your house and overstay their welcome, you know, and start to get about eight, and you're like, Ooh. Some of you, it's five, but I won't mention any names. But anyways, it's like it's late, right? And then 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, 11.30, you're like, um, yeah, you (laughs) got to go. I've got to go to bed. And some of you don't even tell people to go. You just turn off the lights and you go to bed. And they're like, (laughs) I guess I should go home. That's what the disciples are doing. Lord, it's late. There's a bunch of people. And I like what Jesus says. Look at verse 16. He says, um, they don't need not to go away. Uh, uh, Lord, I don't see a holiday inn around here. Uh, oh, by the way, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Um, you know what he's saying? It's time for a feast. People are here. Where's the food? Where's the food? Now, you guys are disciples, okay? That's what follow me. You're the disciple. Jesus looks at you. There's a bunch of people here. You have no food, okay? You're in a deserted place. There's not a 7-Eleven. You can't go buy burritos, okay? There's a, So, and he says, hey, give them something to eat. I If I was a disciple, wouldn't you be stressed right about now?
1: Uh, how much you got?
0: I don't know. Uh... uh uh, there's a bunch of grass here. Maybe it's salad for everyone. I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope the people like grub because maybe we could do. I, you guys understand? I mean, this is this is the Lord, and and they're stressed. But it's a different kind of stress than than Herod had. You go? How so? How so? Um, they've been with the Master. They've
1: they've seen the miracles but see, for a
0: brief moment, they took their eyes off of him. They took their eyes off of him. Until verse 17. Look at verse 17. And they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. Now, is this faith or is this crazy? Because, like, listen, I, this, is, this is God. This is, this is God. And... Uh, it's either really silly that I say I have, I have five loaves and two fish because he's like, really? Or it's faith. I don't know which one it is. I, you know that this meal right here might have fed only two people. I mean, think about this, okay? When the multitudes were seeing Jesus on the boat, you had a, you had a mom go, Oh, do you want to go see Jesus? And he goes, Yeah, I want to do. Well, before you go, let's pack you a lunch. OK, what will it be? Well, give me five little loaves. They're not, they're not lo- loaves of bread. They're five little loaves in a fish. It's basically a happy meal. Without the fries. It's a fillet of fish. And you're like, "Oh, oh. So, come on, come on now. How many of you would go to Jesus with your fillet of fish going, "This is what we have?" As long as I eat, I don't know all of them. I just wonder. But in verse seventeen, they say that we only have five loaves and two fish. It's almost silly and embarrassing for the disciples because you see, five thousand men, not including women and children.
1: Let's do an inventory.
0: Uno, dos, tres, qu- oh, only five. Only five. How much fish do we have?
1: These are like sardines, you understand, right?
0: I think Jesus watched and somewhat, I don't know, maybe watched his frustrated disciples as they tried to solve the problem. You probably watched, and and I know my Jesus has a sense of humor, so he was probably just smiling, because he knew what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do. It tells us in John chapter 6, verse 6. But he wanted to teach him a lesson in faith and surrender. You go, wow. I think the Lord wants to do that with us, guys. At times he wants to teach us. How? He wants to teach us the same thing. He wants to teach us uh, a lesson in faith and surrender. And you go, well, how do I learn this lesson? How do I learn it? Well, number one, let's learn from the text. You go, what's that? Well, first of all, start with what you have. Start with what you have. God begins where? we are and what we have that's all they had that's all they had that's all we have some of us want to go man i want to serve the lord but i'm going to do this and i want to do this and i want to do this start with what you have lord here i am here i am here's my heart and number two what did they do they had to i mean can you imagine hey little boy come here yes give us your lunch why but jesus needs it well what's he going to do with it you know what that little boy had to do? He had to give
1: what he had to Jesus.
0: He had to give. And Jesus took a simple lunch. He blessed it. He shared it. And the miracle of multiplications was in his hands. See, little is much if God is in it. Little is much if God is in it. Jesus broke the bread. He gave the pieces to his disciples. They turned and they fed the multitudes. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Could you imagine being there? You know that's only you you know you have just a happy meal. You know it's just this, and, and all of a sudden you're like Have the people sit down. And I mean you're just like, this is I don't know how many people were there. We know the Bible says five thousand, but it doesn't talk about women and children. We know there's children because there's a little boy who has a lunch. So Jesus says, Hey, look at verse 18. Bring them here. Bring them to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took five loaves, two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed it. He broke it. He broke. Um, gave the disciples and the disciples to the multitudes. Guess what? Look at verse 20. So they all ate and were filled. Okay? Do you know what that means? That means when you go to Golden Corral and you've overeaten, you're really full. This is when you go and you go, oh, I'm never eating again. Wow. That was so good. That was so good. Funny story. My grandbaby, my granddaughter, just discovered Golden Corral yesterday. First time they ever took her. She calls me on the phone, FaceTimes me. Grandpa. What? There's a Golden Corral. Yes, yeah, lady. I had, and she just goes up. She says, it's the best place ever. She's seven years old. Best place. I had rice and bacon at the same... And she just goes off. She thinks it's the best
1: thing ever. This is Golden Corral. They're full. They're full. They're full.
0: And so they ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten... We're about 5,000, what does it say? Besides women and children. Let me give you an estimate. Some commentators say 15,000. Some say 10. Some say 20. We don't know. We know there was a lot of people. There's a lot of people. But see, this is a feast of life. This is a feast of life. Because Jesus shows himself real in the miracle of feeding the five thousand. You see, Jesus was not only God, but he was fully men. And when he was heard that John had died and he wanted to get alone with God and he saw the multitudes, he could have easily said, guys, give me a break. Let's, let's try tomorrow. Can I have a moment to myself? But that's not God. God says, he says he has
1: compassion he says, okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to show you guys something amazing.
0: And so everybody eats. Everybody eats. Man, this is great. This is
1: great. Lord, this is...
0: Can you imagine? You guys know what it is, right? When When we fellowship together. This is so cool. This is so cool. And not only that, but there's like, we have leftovers. We have leftovers. I don't know if you all have a grandma like I had a grandma, but I'm pretty sure this happened every time I went to grandma's house. You guys know what I'm talking about? You go to grandma's house and everybody shows up at grandma's house and she starts taking out little little containers of food. Rosa, you know what I'm talking about? And little container everybody and, and a little this a little, and and it's like everybody eats and she puts it all back. It's like, how did that happen at grandma's house?
1: Jesus is there, amen. So this is a feast, not of death, but of the spirit. But here's the problem.
0: I want you to put yourself in some of the people's sandals here. You go, what do you mean? Not everybody's going to see it as a feast of the Spirit. What what
1: do you mean? (sighs) When Jesus stops feeding them, many of the folks
0: left him. As a matter of fact, jot this down: John chapter six, verse sixty-six. John six 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 says this: From that time, many of disciples went back and walked with him no more. In context, he they were just looking for a meal. They're looking for a meal, right? They're looking for hey hey Joe, how you doing? What's up, Joe? Hey, listen, Jesus over here. You want to go grab lunch? I, I heard he's feeding people. Yeah, let's go, man. So we're not following Jesus for who He is. We're following Jesus for what we can get. And when the Lord's like, no more. Isn't that a great biblical principle? How many of us are following Jesus because we love Him and we're serving Him and it's not what we can get? But then we get, and and some people, Bobby, you follow Jesus.
1: You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed, brother. You'll be blessed. You'll have everything you need.
0: Guys, I've seen that so many times. This play out. People will give their lives to the Lord. They'll follow Jesus. And we saw it on the parable that he talked about, right? About the sower and the seeds. And they said, man, when tribulations come up, they're like, eh, I don't follow you, Lord. I don't follow you.
1: What a great principle. As disciples, we need
0: to follow Jesus first and foremost Where, wherever he's going. Where is he going? I don't know, but I'm going to follow him. Is he promising you anything? He's not promising me anything. As a matter of fact, if I follow Jesus, it's going to be hard, and there's going to be spiritual attacks, and there'll be trials, and there'll be tribulations. Do you still want to go? There'll be deserted places. There'll be places of remote air. I won't know where Jesus is going. How many of you want to go? I'm in. I'm in and let's go. As disciples, we need to follow Jesus wherever He's going. Number two, number two, as disciples, as disciples, we need to follow Him for who He is, not what we could get. Not what we could get. We're blessed as it is. You know what? If you you have anything else, you're blessed.
1: You're blessed. Blast. there's one more feast that we didn't mention. There's one more feast.
0: So as we close our study, let me just say this. There's one more feast that I want you guys to be a part of. You see, a feast is a sumptuous entertainment meal with many guests. But let me tell you about this feast. It's the marriage supper
1: of the Lamb. That's a feast you don't want
0: to miss. Well, Pastor, am I invited? Only those who have put their faith and trust in God, those who are saved, are invited to that. You see, what's going to happen is one day, soon and very soon, you're going to hear the trumpet sound, and those who are dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain are going to meet the Lord in the air. And for 7 years the world is going to go horribly down here it's going to be awful ugly but up there there's going to be a great banquet a great feast Okay Now if you're in here and you're watching your weight don't worry about it there's no calories in heaven Okay it's going to be good it's going to be good. this is going to be the best food you ever but it's a it's a feast it's called the marriage supper of the lamb Now let me tell you who won't be there People who are not saved People who have never given their heart to Jesus. You know who is not going to be there? Religious people. Religious people. Because you can be religious all you want to, but but only those who have a relationship with the God that created them are going to be there. Here's the good news. He invites all of us. He says, hey, I'm inviting all of you to come. So here's my question. Do you have your invitation? Do you have it? Is it ready to go? You go, well, I don't. Pastor, I don't, ha- I don't know if I have an invitation. I don't know. I don't know. Let me tell you, it's really easy. When you open up your heart and you believe in God, you have to make a decision. You have to say, I'm going I'm to put my faith and trust in Him. It's called being born again, being born from heaven. We can't stand on anything else. We can't stand on our heritage. We can't stand on religion. We can't stand on how good-looking we are. We can't stand on anything All we can stand is on the fact that Jesus died for us. And that's salvation. But God is so loving and so graceful, He doesn't go, hey, I'm going to make you do it. He goes, I'm here, I'm inviting you, you have to RSVP. You go, what does that mean? That's when you put your faith and trust in Him. You give your life to Him. What does that mean? It means that, number one, you believe that He is God's Son and He died on the cross for you. Number two, that you're willing and ready to repent of your sin. You say, I'm done. I'm going to follow God. And three, guys, you invite him into your life to be God, to be Savior, to be Lord. That's what we do. That's what a lot of people have done. And then you, by faith, watch the Lord come in. And here's what he does. Here's the great exchange. You give him your dirty, awful, ugly heart, which I wish Herod would have done. He didn't do. He gave me awful, and he's going to give you a brand new one brand new and clean and shiny, and then he's going to walk with you all the days of your life. And when you die, he's going to come and go, come on, come on, well done, good and faithful. So enter into the joy of your rest. But you have to do it. You have to do it. Nobody can do it for you. This is a decision you need to make. This is a decision you need to make. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for uh, the Bible study today. We think of two great feasts, Lord. It was a feast of death that Herod and John ended up dying. And it was a great feast that the Lord, with compassion and mercy, and saw a beautiful miracle. Great application we pulled out. But Lord, there's one more feast that I would love to invite people to. And that's the feast, the married supper of
1: the Lamb. Father,
0: I realize that only by your Spirit, Lord, that people get saved. And this here is the most important time in our Bible study. It's when your precious Spirit is knocking on the hearts of people to invite them into heaven. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I would ask you. I would ask you today: Are you saved? And if you go, Pastor Ben, I don't, I, I don't think I am. But well, let me invite you. You can be today. And you go. Well, how, how, how can I be saved? How can I, how can I know that I'll go to heaven beyond a shadow of? A- how can I know? Well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're serious about God, you're serious about being saved. You're serious about walking. You're serious about the invitation. You're ready to RSVP. And what I need you to do is simply lift up your arm. When you lift up your hand, you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I I want to RSVP. I want to go to heaven. I'm ready to give my life to God. So if that's you today, if that's you today, and God has been speaking to you, not me, it's God, how many of you would right now say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I'm ready to give my life to Him. Would you just lift up your hand right now? Would you say, Pastor, pray for me? Did you do it right now? God bless you, sister. I see you. Anyone else? Anyone? It's a beautiful thing. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Right here. Right here. God bless you. God bless you. If you're watching online and I can't see your hand, but God can, all you have to do is lift up your hand. And here's what I want you to say. If you're serious about God today and you're ready to RSVP to this wonderful thing in heaven, then you would pray something like this. Would you just, those of you who lifted up your hand, would you just pray something like this? Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you were buried and you resurrected. God, you're in heaven right now. And one day you're going to come back and I want to be in that number. Lord Jesus, I would ask that you forgive me of my sin. I have blown it up until this point. I'm asking you, Lord, to come into my heart. Repent of my sins. I'm turning from my sins. I'm going to follow you. Lord, I come into my heart and be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, forever I'm yours. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here's what he says. If you pray that prayer, here's what the Bible says. There is a party in heaven going on right now. It says there's joy in the presence of angels because when, when you come to know the Lord. So guess what? If there's a party in heaven, we're going to party down here. We love you. We're glad that you made that commitment. You go, well, what do I need to do now? Hey, listen, we got a Bible. We got a Bible study guide for you to help you, to help you grow. This is just our way of saying come into the family of God. It's just going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you didn't lift your hand, but you're going, yeah, I really wanted to, but I didn't. I, will you just talk to me after church? I'm going to be standing right there and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. I'm going to give you a Bible. I want to love on you. I want to pray with you. That's what church is all about. Amen. Hey, don't forget next week, next week, we're going to continue in in chapter 14. If you're, if you're new to Calvary, we go verse by verse by verse by verse, pulling out the scripture. Lots of good application today. Amen.